Hello there, listener, and welcome to this week's episode of the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, positive psychology practitioner, personal trainer, and wellness coach, Darlene Marshall. And Happy New Year! Happy 2024! You know, it is a completely arbitrary date on the Gregorian calendar. Uh, There is no astronomical phenomenon that demarcates the difference between December 31st and January 1st. There is no like magic horizon that we are crossing. It is completely arbitrary set by a couple of different Romans over the course of time millennia ago that has been handed down onto us. Uh, But I still think it's really important. Uh, You know, this year I heard a lot of uh, chatter on the online where people were saying that because it's arbitrary, why use it as a set date for anything, blah, blah, blah. Here's the deal. I think that as human beings, we have a, a psychological something, something. I don't know the technical name for it, but that thing where a new day dawns, a new horizon is crossed and we take a moment of reflection And then we turn toward that new time horizon with a fresh set of eyes, a fresh set of opportunities, and we see the chance to strive toward something better with intention. And that's a new day, a new week, a new month. And for a lot of us, it's a new year. And I think that really matters that we take that opportunity if it speaks to us. No pressure if that's not your jam. But if it is your jam, welcome back to another year with Better Than Fine. It is my deep honor to get to do this show and to get to share with you. And so in uh, the spirit of the new year, I wanted to kick off this first episode of 2024 with an invitation. If you've done some stock taking in this pivot point of the year and found yourself wanting to learn about how to take care of yourself and relate to your world in a really positive and meaningful way. If you want information that you know is gonna be based in research, or if somebody just made it up that we're gonna tell you that we just made it up, uh, we're not gonna confound the two. And if it's based in research, we're gonna tell you how to use it and figure it out for yourself, because that's really important. And if you want to be better, you want to be happier, you want to be more well, not just in like one facet of yourself, but all of yourself, mental, physical, emotional, social well-being, whatever all of that means to you and is about for you, that's what we're on about. That's what Better Than Fine is here to do. And so I'm excited to get to have another year with you. I hope you're excited to get to it too. And this week, one of my absolute favorite people is back to kick off the new year with us. And that starts for many of us with dry January. I, when I think about dry January, I think back to about 14 years ago, I had this really wild friend who was a super good time, but part of that super good time was from like Halloween kind of straight through to New Year's. They were having all of the good times. And then from starting in January, at least the four weeks of January and sometimes a bit longer, complete sobriety. And in knowing them, it was the first time in my life that I saw someone who had that kind of rhythm and relationship with alcohol and kind of all of the the substance they were dabbling in. Like I said, they were a pretty good time. At this point in my life, I was just getting into fitness. Uh, I had 
been working for a few years to recover from when I was diagnosed with EDS and I was really starting to pivot from that survive toward thrive shift in my life. And I grew up in a culture where people were really heavy alcohol consumers and yeah, it was a super good time. But the only people who were totally abstaining from drinking at any point were the people who had a problem with alcohol. So the idea that just anybody would choose like, oh yeah, maybe I should take a little break from this, completely foreign and mind-blowing to me. But probably not mind-blowing to today's guest, who's probably going to shine a whole bunch of light on what it means to be in the middle ground in our relationship to alcohol. In 2023, Imbibe Magazine named him one of the 75 inspiring people and places that will shape the way you drink. He's the author of Mindful Mixology, a comprehensive guide to no and low alcohol cocktails, and the author of NASM's new Mindful Drinking course, which I just got the other day, and I'm very excited to get started. He's here to teach America how to drink. My friend, now your friend, Derek Brown, welcome back to Better Than Fine, and Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year. Thank you so much, Darlene. I really appreciate that uh, wonderful introduction. I really appreciate you coming on the show with me. Uh, and let's start with, you know, I shared my introduction to Dry January. How did you come across Dry January? Because you are so keyed in to the cocktail space. I'm sure that uh, it, it hit you in totally a different way. Oh, absolutely. In fact, Dry January, I'm going to start with a little history, if that's okay. Always. Dry January goes all the way back to 1942. And how's your finish, by the way? Uh, it, it does not. I mean, unless you're talking about how I finish like 5Ks. <laughs> <laughs> well, in Finnish, it's called something like Righteous January, which meant sober Ooh. January. Um, that is going to be corrected by your guests who speak Finnish. And please do put it in the comments. All two of them. Um, <laughs> pronounce that. But um, it was during World War II um, in Finland that it started. But it really came about in 2013 by Alcohol Change UK. And so this was mm. their campaign to help reduce the amount that people drink and also to raise funds. So what they did was they said, give up alcohol for this month and donate those funds to alcohol change. And so that, or, or any charity for that matter, but it was hmm. specifically for them. So I started doing it in 2015 and I needed it, right? So I wrote about it in the Washington Post. And it, back then there was some confusion over what the name was, right? It was gonna be either dry January or dry January. And I was Whoa, really, that's awful. Rindjuary. <laughs> How do you spell that? <laughs> and this is one of those pivotal moments in history where it could have gone the other way, right? Nobody I, would be celebrating Rindjuary now. I'm glad for your intervention, sir. That is awful. <laughs> yes. But I needed it. And um, at that point in my life, I drank a lot. And I was uh, all, almost confounded at why other people needed to do it. So I wrote about it. And in that article, I called sobriety the dark of night, right? And what mm. I meant by that was not that it was something dark and ominous, but that there was nothing there, right? That it was oh. almost an absence of something. And that we needed that. We needed that moment to reflect on our, our lives. And, and perhaps that was my Catholic upbringing or, or whatever, but I've really come to reconceptualize that as something entirely different. And to me, dry January now has nothing to do with 
not drinking. It has everything to do with social wellness and these wonderful, incredible alternatives to alcohol. Oh, yeah. Let's say a whole lot more about that because I think a lot of people think of it as the absence of something. Um, I know you're a big fan of and student of positive psychology, as you know that I love. Um, and the axiom that like the absence of something bad is not the same as the presence of something good. So I think that's very interesting that you've picked up on that in this in this way that it used to be you'd think of it as like, okay, I'm removing something, but talk to me about what's there in its place. Cause I think that's a big reframe for a lot of people. Right. Because I mean, and the, also the idea was that you were somehow, you know, trading today for your future self. Mm. Right? And that doesn't really, <laughs> that doesn't really inspire anybody. No. Uh, it turns out that if, for better or worse, many of us don't really care about our future self. And so, <laughs> um, don't tell don't, Peter Atiyah that. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I won't. But, but so the idea is that, you know, instead of thinking about the future self, we can think about today and the things that we can do to replace alcohol in our lives. Because social wellness is so critical to who we are and our existence mm. that if we don't do that, um, if we don't go out and drink with people, and it again, it doesn't have to be alcohol, it doesn't even have to be in bars, but if we don't spend time with other people enjoying food and drink, um, that can be really problematic to our health. And so I think that it's really important to, you know, think about it in those terms to make sure that we're offering something as a positive, as you said, instead of removing something as a negative. And in that way, um, it really is, you know, I was inspired by this paper that I wrote, I, I read by a um, Henry Yeoman at Leeds University. And he wrote this in 2018, and he talked about dry January, not just as not drinking, but is this sort of ethical formation, right? Mm. This is something that we do to train ourselves to, um, to be ethical in the way that we want to, right? So it's actually mm. fulfilling our own desires in that way to be um, ethical. And so it also is a kind of embodied learning and self-optimization, right? Well, you so know into that. components of it that I really love. And I love that he was able, because his paper is essentially a qualitative um, look at dry January. And, and so these are some of the reasons that people engage in it. And what's awesome about it is that it not only works during dry January, but there are studies that show that it works after that as well. So that when people take that time to refrain from drinking and fill that time with other things, spending time drinking non-alcoholic drinks, spending time with friends and so forth, that it increases their, I love this word, it's D-R-S-E. And that is drink-related self-efficacy. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> so that continues throughout the year. Well, we've got a bunch of things to unpack in just that short. I'm, I'm so glad I asked you to expound more about what goes into the container that it is not just empty, right? Um, and let's start with social wellness because I think a lot of people are hearing a fair shake of content now about loneliness and the loneliness epidemic and what it's doing to us. And I know for a lot of people, when they stop drinking or they take a break from drink or they change their drinking habits, um, they, they get a negative feedback loop from the people around them. Can you talk a little bit, because I know that you feel really strongly about the effects of that negative feedback loop. Um, can you talk a little bit about 
what that is, where that's coming from, and also how people can reasonably respond because that social wellness component that you alluded to is so imperative to our sense of self, our sense of integration with the world around us, that I think there are a lot of people who they want to make more healthful choices for themselves. But when they do, maybe the people around them are kind of bumpering them back into um, less well and effective versions of who they want to be. Right. I mean, there's an incredible amount of peer pressure that can be put on person, a person, especially during the holidays, to drink, right? So as soon as you walk into a party or as soon as you walk into somebody's home is a sign of hospitality. They want to give you a drink. It's nothing bad. They're not trying to push you towards, you know, um, you know, ill health. What they're trying to do is share something with you. And that really makes um, that that really makes it special and, and something you want to do, except for the fact that maybe you don't want to drink. And so in that situation, you really have to kind of um, approach it in a different way. Mm. And there's lots of different ways that I recommend. And in my course, the uh, NASM course on mindful drinking, I talk about some of these ways, but I'll, I'll share some today. Don't worry. You don't have to buy it. <laughs> but I want to you know, say it depends on the, the time and place, right? There is Obviously, if you're walking into somebody's home, that's one thing. If you're walking into a bar and the people are trying to push cocktails on you, pushing shots on you, that's a, another entirely. But but the peer pressure is real. In fact, I experienced it not too long ago. I was at, um, of all places, one of the great cocktail havens in the United States, Dave and Buster's. I'm so used to you having like all of the coolest hookups that that one caught me off guard. Good job. <laughs> and we, so I, I was there and it was, you know, uh, the afternoon and it was a birthday party. And I asked them, do you have any non-alcoholic beers? And the woman looked at me and goes, why? Oh, you know, right. something happened to me very similar. I was at a, I was at a pretty cool local restaurant. Um, I ordered a cocktail that I knew to be a low alcohol mm -hmm. cocktail and the, the server immediately says, and I of course thought of you immediately. Um, he goes, you know, that doesn't have no booze in it. Right. And I'm like, yeah, that is the literal point. Yeah. <laughs> Aye, undercutting your own efforts. Yeah, so she are, says, why, why? Yeah, so people are surprised. And, and obviously the answer to that is because I want one, you know, it yeah. really doesn't matter. I should not be interrogated for not wanting to drink. It's the only <laughs> drug customer. Yeah, it's the only drug that you are sometimes interrogated or berated for not using. Yeah. And um, that is just the reality. And again, most of it is innocent and they're not trying to yeah. well be jerks. It's just an inverted, inadvertent jerk, jerkitude, jerkhood. <laughs> Jerkability. Jerkability. <laughs> and so um, I think that the answer to that is that we have to adopt some strategies if we're going to not drink or reduce the amount we're drinking and have alternatives, we have to kind of approach it differently. And so if I was going to somebody's house, there's really two things that I would do right off the bat. The first thing is I would call, I would talk to them and ask them if they have non-alcoholic alternatives, tell them I'm not drinking. Um, and you don't have to give a reason. You never have to give a reason. You just have to say, I'm not drinking. Mm. Can you um, say, say more about never have to give a reason. Cause I think there's a lot of people out there, you know, whether we label it people pleasing or whatever, they feel like they need to justify their behavior. Can you say just a little bit more about like why we don't owe that to other people? 
Yeah, I mean, I think what it is is that we we definitely um, it's something personal to us. the 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 way that we consume alcohol is our own decision, and there are many reasons for it. Right? Some people's reasons are for health. Some people's reasons are for piety. Some people's reason are just because they have a meeting the next day and they want, or they're they're exercising the next day, and so any one of these reasons is their own personal reason. They don't have to share it. They yeah. that you you wouldn't feel like you have to tell somebody um, why you're eating anything else. I suppose if you have some other eating restrictions, you might share that you're a vegan. That happens a lot, <laughs> but 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 generally, I think you know, it's not their business unless mm. you want to share it. It's your own personal choice. Yeah. Big snaps to that. You're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlene Marshall, and my guest is Derek Brown. We're getting Derek Brown, the man's guide to dry January. And Derek, so we've, we've talked about the social wellness. We've talked about boundaries and communication we talked about, you know, if we're going to somebody's house just openly and honestly saying like, hey, I'm not drinking, I can bring my own thing. If you don't have your own thing, whatever, um, as an alternative. And you've told me before about this. I think we should share it with the listener about the effectiveness of having alternatives. This has been my personal experience since knowing you, my alcohol uh, consumption habits have changed dramatically. So thank you for being a positive influence in my life. Uh, and it was really you who got it on my radar just having an alternative you like, how effective that can be. So can you talk about the alternatives that are out there? I know this is a big wheelhouse of yours and why it's not just dry January. This is a, a lasting effect. That's right. Ultimately, having the alternative fills a lot of different roles. For one, we're just used to having something in our hands. You know, I, I remember when I stopped drinking alcohol, I was... Kind of like, you know, some kind of Will Ferrell skit. Like, what do I do with my hands? <laughs> what do I do with my hands? And so there I is. had to really think about that. And and at first I did something that I refer to in the course as propping. And what, what it means is you take a, you know, not a teacup. <laughs> you take a gin and, uh, <laughs> you take like a rocks glass and you put tonic in it and a lime and it looks like a gin and tonic or something. And that is one way that you can just avoid interest, Right. And, and make sure that you feel comfortable having something in your hand. You pass for booze. <laughs> yeah, but that's also no fun too, because I didn't want to drink just straight tonic. I wanted an adult, sophisticated cocktail. Mm. And so these alternatives fill not just the role of like having that, but they're also complex and interesting. And they're part of the ritual that we engage in, right? Whether we're going to a bar or restaurant and they're making it for us and or we're making it at home because a lot of people will make cocktails at home to relax to enjoy as a hobby and this is an opportunity that they can reduce or um, even eliminate if they're eliminating alcohol they can still engage in that ritual they can still do the hobby and so i think that it fills a lot of different roles in that way um, and it's delicious right that's what we're looking for I think that the buzz that you get, the intoxication, is sometimes secondary to that experience. Yeah. Of just enjoyment of really saying, you know, obviously when you drink something, it affects you. You know, it's there's going to be physiological changes. Um, whatever you drink, uh, whatever you eat, 
And in this case, it's just not as profound as alcohol. Obviously, alcohol has a very specific effect on our bodies. And so I don't want to suggest that drinking a, um, uh, you know, drinking an alternative will give you the same effect. But to some degree, it can still elicit the same positive emotions. Um, and for people, there was this one study that talked about heavy drinkers that uh, when they gave it up, when they drank non-alcoholic beer, that they continue to have that sort of dopamine kick in when they drink it, which is very interesting. Um, but there's other studies that talk about the placebo effect of alcohol. And so there is some experience we can get from that, some enjoyment that's, uh, that's there at, besides just enjoying it for its taste. Well, I think this speaks to what we were talking about before, you know, the absence of the bad is not the same as the presence of the good. Um, in removing an alcoholic beverage, it doesn't mean I don't want something else that is pleasurable and that that's important. And that's, I mean, that is all entirely things that I learned from you. Uh, and it's funny to hear you talk about your prop drink because that first few months that I knew you and I took that break from drinking, um, it was tonic and lime every time I'd go out. And then I got my dad on it because my dad was in a bad habit. If we went out to eat, he'd end up having a beer or two in the middle of the week and then he'd feel really gross. And when I started drinking tonic and lime, he jumped on the bandwagon and completely stopped drinking you know, during the week. Um, so you have a ripple effect to my father. Thank you for making my father more helpfully, helpful as well. <laughs> Trying to help. But one of the things that you touched on as well as the idea that this, once you start doing the alternatives, that it can have a lasting effect on you. And so there was a recent study in Japan at the University of Tsukuba that talked about this. And it's a fairly small study, so I don't want to extrapolate too much. But the idea is that they replaced non-alcoholic drinks for 12 weeks to mm. students. And that not only reduced their drinking during that period of time, it continued the effect for eight weeks after that. So it had a continuing effect on the way that they drank. And in, in fact, in some cases, it reduced up to one drink that they'd have a day. So I think that that's, it's a really good way to transition from drinking alcohol to reducing the amount that you drink. Yeah, I think it's awesome. And and to be clear, when we talk about alternatives, you're not only talking about, um, you know, alcohol-free beers. Now there's a bunch of other stuff out there, right? Which again, I didn't know existed until I knew you. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how it's more than um, just a zero alcohol beer at this point? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and first of all, the zero alcohol beers are now delicious. Because mm. for once in a time they were not. No, so if yeah. Anybody, yeah, if anybody's out there is remembering the uh, old non-alcoholic beers, they taste so much better now. Yes. Um, Athletic is a brand that's fantastic. Groovy is another brand. There's so many great, even Sierra Nevada, Corona, Heineken, Guinness. There's Guinness that tastes pretty much like Guinness. So it's really impressive that they have these analog brands. But... Beyond that, there are ready-to-drink cocktails, which are essentially called RTD cocktails. They're cocktails in a can. They're made with fresh ingredients. They're really delicious, and they remind you of um, this sort of drinks with alcohol, sharing some of the same sensory characteristics. Then you have spirits, wine. Actually, wine is an area that we've seen a lot of improvement, too. Um, I especially love non-alcoholic sparkling wines. 
Hmm. They're really excellent right now. So I, for over the holidays for, for new year, obviously I popped a bottle of non-alcoholic sparkling wine and it was tasty, not sweet, really dry, delicious, low sugar, all of that. Um, then we have the non-alcoholic spirits, which maybe are the least comparable to alcohol in a way, because one of the things to think about is that beer is so effective as being an analog product because it mostly is made of other things besides alcohol, right? Mm-hmm. Beer is about 5% ABV or alcohol by volume, which means the amount of alcohol in the, the can. Um, and vodka or bourbon are usually around 40%. So alcohol does a lot more heavy lifting there, which means that you know you can't really replace that flavor. But they do have some characteristics that really are the same kind of flavors um, and you can mix them in cocktails. So you often don't drink them straight, but you can make them in cocktails and have really great results. Fabulous. Um, you're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlene Marshall. My guest is Derek Brown, and we are unpacking a guide to dry January. So we talked quite a bit about um, m- what mindful drinking is and, and taking the benefits of taking breaks from um, consuming alcohol. I think it might be useful. And I think I know that this is something you feel strongly about talking about what it's not. Why is mindful drinking or, you know, a, a bouts of sobriety, not a magic wand for all the wellness things? Because, you know, the internet loves to tell us that it's going to like, I don't know, make your hair shinier and you're going to be bigger, faster, stronger. And, you know, everything's always the miracle. Yeah. What's where's the line there? Yeah, this beautiful mane right here, this mm. is not the result of not drinking. This is mostly <laughs> genetics. Um, so for, for those listening, that's, I'm referring to my hair. Um, Derek's got great hair. To your hair, too. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so the thing is that when people talk about dry January or these periods of temporary abstinence, they are usually touting all of the health benefits. You're going to wake up the next day. You're going to feel great. Your hair is going to be fantastic. You're going to sleep better. You're going to live your best life. And it and all of the all of the proof is there on Instagram for you to see. But <laughs> oh, the gram. Real talk. It okay. does not fix everything. It can't. It, there are so many, and, and I love this, that NASM talks about the different pillars of wellness. There's so many aspects to wellness that are important that this is just one piece of that. And to me, I think of it as a doorway. Like when I stopped drinking, it gave me the opportunity to look at other aspects of my life and to be real about them, to not use alcohol as a way to disguise them. And so I think that in that way, it was super helpful to me. And obviously not everybody drinks for the same reasons as I did. But I think that it's important to put this within the context of wellness as a whole and not just think it's going to, I mean, I I woke up groggy this morning, just all, all You never. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I was traveling. I, I was traveling from the East Coast or from the West Coast to the East Coast. So so there was a very good reason for it, but but generally it's not going to fix things. And so I think the reason I say that too is because I don't want people to be dissuaded um, from doing it because two days go and their sleep isn't improved magically. Now, 
there are, by the way, these health benefits are out there and there are studies to suggest that they happen and they're, they're certainly possible. So I don't also want to tell you that they won't happen. I just want to suggest that we're not a statistic. We're all individuals. We all have our own personal health. And I think it's important to realize this is a good thing. It just might not solve every problem in your life. Yeah, big snaps to that. Not everything works for everybody all the time. And this might not be your magic wand, but that doesn't mean it's not worthwhile. Um, I do want to backtrack for just a second because I there is another point that I wanted to invite you to share on a bit, which is the idea that it doesn't have to be all or nothing to be effective as well, right? The idea, I feel like, you know, the 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 couple of years ago, six, eight years ago, when everybody had their like internet challenge and it was very all or nothing thinking and dry January at some point was also this idea that like it had to be total sobriety to be effective. Um, this year, my household is taking a mindfulness approach, um, partly inspired by you, of course, that instead of it being all or nothing, we set some very specific rules because we had some things coming up where we're like, oh, well, I want to be able to have a celebratory drink at that event. Um, but that it was very intentioned and clear from the beginning so that we could really use it as a lens to examine our choices instead of this black and white thinking. So I don't know if you have any more that you want to say on that, but I think this idea that it can evolve with you instead of having to be just one thing. Oh, I have, I could fill the whole show talking about this. <laughs> Go, I really I'll think just this is out. an important topic because we set these rules for ourselves that are sometimes seem so rigid, but in fact, you know, they're rules we set for ourselves. So we can change them if we need to, based on our need to progress, right? I always say um, progression, not purity. It's not a religion. Project mm. is not a religion, right? You don't have to prove it to anybody uh, but yourself. And if you wanna take a break during dry January, whether it's to celebrate with a friend, whether it's just because you really wanna enjoy this one cocktail because you went to a special place and that's how they make it, there are so many reasons that you can just say, okay, I'm, I'm hitting pause and I'm going to have a drink right now. I mean, I don't think it should be an invitation to, you know, uh, a bender. I think that's something that I would <laughs> recommend. No, no. Like, okay, well, I'm just going to, you know, take a, every, every Thursday, I'm going to, you know, knock it out of the park with uh, some drinks. I, I think it's still good to, to, you know, drink low alcohol drinks to moderate the way you're drinking, but ultimately it's in your hands. You make the decision for yourself. Nobody else should tell you the way that you should approach dry January because it's your decision. And I think that that's going to help you in the long run be more successful at that decision because when you break, you know, let's say that it's week two, right? You're on the 14th day and that's it. You know, you're, you feel like you're going down. Then you're just going to give up for the rest of the month, you're gonna say, that's it, it's over, I already broke it, it doesn't matter. No, it, at that point you say, great, that was then, and I'm moving forward, and I'm, for the rest of the month, I'm gonna continue to observe dry January, or dryish January, or damp January. Slightly or, damp January, yeah. <laughs> that's what I was saying. Whatever you want to uh, Voice January. Oh. Um, <laughs> but, but I think you bring up a really good point of about the fragility of all or nothing thinking. And this is coming up a lot right now in a lot of new clients that I have where 
they had this really rigid all or nothing thinking that before 2020, the last three years, they weren't able to bootstrap themselves back to that all or nothing thinking. And because of the fragility of that thing, they're beating themselves up that they think they're not successful. Um, and so the flexibility piece, I think, does help us build the self-efficacy that you were talking about because we're building a real relationship that it's authentic. That's not this artificial, fragile, like it has to be a certain way. And it's so rigid. Um, let's pivot before we wrap up here to, um, I just got my mindful drinking course. I have not opened it yet. What should I feel really excited about for my course coming up? Well, the thing that I love most about the course was in the beginning of it, the very beginning, I got to talk about the importance of alcohol, which might seem contradictory to <laughs> mindful drinking, but it's not at all. In the beginning, I talk about how it's been such a huge part of our civilization. It, it there at the very, you know, inception of, of, of these human endeavors, you know, ranging from religion to agriculture, right? I mean, it's been a huge part of who we are as a people. And so you can't just put it aside and say, oh, well, I'm not going to drink it. It doesn't matter anymore. And we should never have it anymore. I think that is a, a, a bad take. Um, obviously, each person should decide for themselves whether they drink or not. But I just mean, as a collective society, it's been important to us. And alongside that has always been, you know, people who have questioned whether we should or shouldn't drink. So it, it hasn't just been a straight shot of, you know, yay, alcohol. They're, they're along the way. It's been banned. It's been regulated. It's been prohibited. I think we all know what happened in the United States. The prohibition happened. That happened as far back as Aztec society, you know. Oh. So I get to talk about that and share a little bit about that. Don't, don't get the wrong idea. This isn't a hard history course. But I share just <laughs> enough that I think that people can get a real picture of the meaning of alcohol in our lives. And there are some aspects that I don't want to ever go away, right? I see that we have these producers in the, that I visited in Guadalajara who make these, they make ricea, which is an agave spirit, like mezcal. It's called mezcal in other places. And they've been making it for hundreds of years and it's part of their family tradition. And I get that and it makes sense to me. Um, even if I don't drink, I can respect that tradition. And so I want to share that. And so that was one of my favorite parts of the course. As we move along, I go into the different types of alcohol. So I really get the chance to share, you know, things like what is ABV? Because that is confusing to people, right? Why alcohol by volume? What's the math here? What math do I have to do? Um, and we make it real simple in that way. Um, but we definitely get into the health aspects of it too. And that was a little bit of a stretch for me to learn more about it. And I got some support along the way, which is really cool. Um, and you'll see in the video that there, there are some videos where we talk about, um, you know, alcohol and sleep and various health aspects of it. And, you know, we do get, and we do touch upon some of the problem drinking that happens as well, but we don't linger too much on that because ultimately the resolution of all of this is mindful drinking. And, that I think is really important. But also just to touch on that problem drinking, we are very specific about what the scope of practice is here, right? I think ultimately there are people who have 
um, alcohol use disorder and severe alcohol use disorder. And that's not something that can be cured by mindful drinking. That's something that requires uh, medical or therapeutic intervention. Yeah. And it's, and it's not our role is not the scope of the course. Um, but I think one of the things I really love just to reflect it back to you is I would not expect uh, any Derek Brown course to not have some kind of history and philosophy lesson involved. Uh, and it's part of what makes it such a rich approach because something that I appreciate about the project from its exception was this idea that we're not just going to teach you not to. And I think this is true of you, right? Like your goal, teach America how to drink, isn't about teach America not to drink, right? It's to have an intentioned relationship with how we consume, in this case, how we consume alcohol. Um, you also have an event coming up that is uh, about this intentions choice. Can you speak to us about Mindful Drinking Fest for anybody who's in, in the mood on in, going to head to DC? Yeah, absolutely. So on January 26th through 28th, we are going to hold the largest mindful drinking fest in the United States. And, and what that is, is that we have over 40 different producers of non-alcoholic products, 120 products that people can try. So there's like a grand tasting hall where people can go through and taste all these different products, which is my way of helping people to find something they love. Because I think what often happens is somebody will grab, grab a bottle off the shelf or try something that their friend bought and I'll say, I don't like that. And then they'll write off the whole category. Right? Mm. And I think that that is, uh, you know, can, can be the death knell for, um, you know, drinking non-alcoholic drinks. They're like, oh, it doesn't taste good or I don't like it. But in fact, there's so many different options and there's certainly something that you would enjoy. And so that's part of it. But we also really want to celebrate social wellness. So there's a lot of parties and fun stuff around it too. So on Saturday night, we have a rave at this club called Culture in DC with incredible DJs and art installations and all of that. So that we're really celebrating being together, movement, all of that, and not necessarily just sitting in a uh, basement somewhere sipping uh, soda. I don't know. Yeah, and, and making with people who are of like mind, right? The opportunity to feel um, connected and validated and a sense of belonging on lots of different levels. Um, I think it's very excited that you have continued to pull this together. I know you've been doing it for a couple of years and uh, it's pretty great. So if you're in DC, check it out. Uh, and Derek, where else can uh, our listeners find you out on the interwebs getting support for Dry January? So to be clear, Mindful Drinking Fest is very simple, mindfuldrinkingfest.com. Um, and I'm at positivedamageinc.com. And if you want to follow my Substack, that's just called Positive Damage. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Derek, thank you so much for coming back, for being with us, uh, and for continuing to do good work and wellness in the world. Uh, I always appreciate a chance to connect with you. My pleasure. Thank you, darling. And of course, dear listener, I want to connect with you too. So if you've got any thoughts, feedbacks, ideas, requests that you want to share, be sure to reach out. You can email me. It's info at darlene.coach. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is Darlene Marshall. Instagram, darlene.coach. That's also my website. Um, or you can find more details on the show and some lifestyle practice at betterthanfine.substack.com. And Positive Damage is one of my uh, recommended substacks as well. So you can link to Derek there too. Thank you so much for leading a listener to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, reminder to do so. Happy New Year. Thanks very much. Take good care of yourself and be well.